What's good, everybody, and welcome to an episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast. Your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Tuesday, October the 4th, the year 2022. Lots to do, lots to talk about here on this midweek program. A recap of a week four of the National Football League. With all the trimmings uh, from the Vikings and the Saints to the Sunday, or excuse me, to the Monday Night Football game that was in Santa Clara last night between the uh, San Francisco 49ers uh, defeating the defending Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams. We will get to that. We'll get into uh, Major League Baseball as their regular season is coming is coming uh, down to a close with uh, with one full day left on Wednesday. I will give you. Uh, Give you a little bit of uh, my uh, commentary on the teams that have clinched playoff spots and since the last time uh, we since the last uh, show we had on Friday. Uh, give you my two cents in the aftermath of the uh, Braves sweeping the Mets over the weekend, only for the Mets or excuse me the Braves to lay a complete egg on uh, on a Monday night. I'll get into that. I'll also give you a touch on. Uh, Aaron Judge with the 62 homers with uh, my Baltimore Orioles. Thank God not being the uh, team to give up Aaron Judge's American League and Yankee franchise uh, single season record uh, home run. So, but we will address that as the program moves along. Where we will start out, though, is uh, and of course the TNF game between the uh, Broncos and the uh, and the Colts to uh, preview coming up later in the show as well. But where we will begin is uh, with the uh, is with Week Four uh, that took place over in London between the Vikings and the Saints. And listen, we've been over this. Uh, we've been over this about a thousand times about uh, with the with the London games. I hate them. I can't stand them as far as I can throw them. The fact that the NFL, uh, the fact that the NFL uh, schedule has to get not necessarily the NFL schedule, but the NFL player schedule gets thrown on its ear, and they upset their body clocks and. And they have to put a throw, and a huge wrench has to be thrown into their routine. And football players, as we dis- as we've discussed uh, in the past previously, that you know that they're on a schedule, they're on a routine at this certain time, they're doing this at this hour of the day. When it relates to the football, not necessarily like what they do, with, you know, in their personal lives or their home life, but when it comes to football, they have a very very strict. Uh, schedule with their body you know this time they got to be in the ice tub at this time they got to be in the trainer's room getting massages and getting rubbed down you know at this time you know they're on the practice field this time they got to be in the meeting room so it's just NFL and and it's not just more so NFL players and really all the other sports because it's uh, because you know, it's you use your body from head to toe. You know, you play. A, you know, whether you're an offensive lineman, quarterback. So it's like a very more meticulous preparation and recovery process because it's also a full contact sport. And probably hockey, it is. It probably is the same, uh, if not if not a uh, very similar as well. But you know, there's a body clock that these players are on, and there's a schedule a body schedule that these guys are on and for them to have to upset it and throw a wrench in it because the NFL wants to placate to the very few uh, English people out there overseas that somehow some way the NFL is convinced are dying of bated breath to watch live NFL football at two thirty 
uh, London time on a Sunday afternoon or wa- or watch games at uh at what uh, six uh, seven seven thirty at night if it's a one o'clock Eastern kick over in London is 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 a bunch is a bunch of hogwash. I mean I can't stand the London games. I you know I I I don't like it. I never have liked it. I never will like it. I don't like it because uh, I don't like it because I don't like the idea that uh that fan bases for teams have to, you know, they give up home games in order to uh they give up home games in order to play over there. Um so I don't like that aspect, you know, fan and the and the tickets are a freaking fortune. If you think not, just go on Ticketmaster or go to SeatGeek and see how much a a a, a ticket costs a decent lower bowl seat at a at a uh, football game not per, not uh, not uh, pertaining to two teams that'll have top 10 top 5 draft picks by the end of the season. I mean the take the tickets are not ex- are not cheap. And you know he, and it's uh, and it's hard to go to the games anyway and if you live in a diehard football a city, you know, where you live and breathe football, a la the Giants, a la the Packers, a la here in Baltimore, the Cal- you name it, you know, there's only a couple, you know, a few teams that, you know, you can't say that the Chargers in Los Angeles, you know, the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the, um, the Miami Dolphins. I understand that Daniel Oyefusi told us that he basically had to, had to park nine miles, uh, to get into a Hard Rock Stadium, but in years past, Miami Dolphins has lagged in attendance prior to this ye- prior to this season. But I don't like it, you know, giving up a home game to go ahead and play in a you know, basically play play a football game overseas that I guarantee is a pain in the ass to have now not for the players and the fans them the players and the coaches themselves they just have to be just have enough endurance to deal with the long ass plane flight and adjusting their body clocks and their regular clocks to a, what I think it's 6 6 hours ahead 6 or so hours ahead uh what how many hours ahead is it uh yes yeah, six uh, no five excuse me five hours ahead but outside of that you know it's 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 a pain and then the fa- and then think about the fan if they want to make and if they want to have it be a a day game over uh, a day game over in London that means the game's got to start at nine thirty here in the east I mean do you want to wake up nine thirty to watch to, to watch a football game and basically you know, uh, have, have your, uh, have the, the meat and potatoes of your football schedule, football viewing over with by, by a quarter to one. I mean, I got up and it's ironic that it, that there was these two quarterbacks as we segue into the game. It's ironic that the one time or actually the first time in my lifetime, because the Bengals in my lifetime, I played twice in London. They got their, they got their doors blown off by the Rams in 2019. And then they, and then they played uh, the Washington, then the Washington Redskins over there about a few years before it. And who was the starting quarterback matchup? Kirk Cousins versus Andy Dalton, and the game ended in a tie. And that game started at nine thirty a.m. Eastern time, and I, you know, sw- and I'm sitting here sweating out Bengals and Redskins with my texting my uh, pal Brendan, uh, in, at uh, twelve at twelve thirty in the early afternoon. I mean, 
but I I don't like it, and I know the players and the players. You know they 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 do their best to be nice about it and to make and to find the positives out out of it. You know, you know, growing their celebrity hood. You know, traveling overseas, experiencing in different cultures, that and the other. But I I put does Aaron Rodgers really? And he'll embrace it, and he'll uh, and he'll get into the spirit of playing a uh, playing a football game outside of the country, but. I guarantee you right now, hand on heart, hand to God, you got Aaron Rodgers in the room to yourself and either maybe booze him up a little bit and have no access to the outside world, no phones, no internets, no voice recorders. On I guarantee you, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is entirely thrilled with the idea uh, with playing, with, you know, giving up a home game at Lambeau Field, albeit it is against the New York football giants. It's not like it's like a divisional game or anything or... Or anything like that, but I guarantee he's not—he's none too thrilled to give up a home game to go play. Uh, to go play overseas at nine at eight thirty, eight thirty a.m. in the morning local time in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I understand, you know, you put the games on. If the the Packers could kick off at three thirty in the morning, the Packer fans would still watch. But still, I mean, it's just—it's the inconveniencing of the players and it's the inconveniencing of the fans. To be at the end that the National Football League. Uh, spits on time and time again, but and then also with the players' association for basically allowing the NFL to do to a have the London games and b not make it a rule where every team the Packers for for a perfect example they don't have a bye week, uh off coming off of their uh, game on Sunday against the Giants they don't have a bye week. So they go. They fly to London. They basically got to fly to London for a few days to play a football game, and then fly right. And, and keep this in mind: it's a longer flight for the Green Bay, Wisconsin's, the Minnesota Vikings, New Orleans Saints of the world than say the Giants, who live on, who live, who who's you know, who are on the Atlantic Ocean on the East Coast. So it's a shorter. So the match is a shorter flight by what an hour and a half, two hours. Fly to London extra long, extra, and then they gotta fly, and then they gotta fly right back and play another game. Matter of fact, let me go, let me pull up uh, the schedule for Green Bay, and then I promise I'll get to the game and uh, and uh, recap some things with the National Football League is concerned. Um, but let's see, Green Bay, and if it's not a home game, Green Bay definitely gets the double whammy. Um, it's not. So they fly to London to play the game. Well, actually, no, wait, check that. They do actually come home. So they have three straight, and I guarantee it's probably the only time on the schedule where Green Bay has three straight road games. Uh, yep, it is. And they give up the one in the middle to go to London. Wow. So then they go to London, come back to play the Jets, and then go to Washington. But... You know, and the pack and the and it used to be policy an unwritten or not unwritten but an unspoken policy where you had a lot of NFL teams that were, that were, that made it known to the league. Hey, we're not giving you want to send us as as the road team, fine, but we're not giving up a home game. Uh, you know, to go ahead and and frolic to London, England, and basically play with a. With an audience, with with a, with a, with an audience, and with uh, the spectator energy, the level of, uh, you know, the level of as if I'm watching a golf tournament, quiet, dead, and no atmosphere. 
and a bu- and a bunch of pe- and a bunch of posers uh, fl- flocking and frolicking around the stadium wearing other teams' jerseys and other people's uniforms. I mean, but anyway, but the Packers the Packers uh, were one of those teams that were like, hey, we're not going to give up a uh, a Lambeau Field home game to flock to uh, to flock and play a game in London. Well, with the seventeenth game added at the beginning of last season in 2021 and with it being the NFC's turn to have that ninth home game rather than the AFC that had it last year they bit the bullet and basically gave away a home game to London so where you know back in the old days about old days I mean back in 2020 2019 where it was straight down the middle where you had eight road games and uh and uh, eight home eight home games and eight road games and this basically being Green Bay's uh ninth road game slash neutral site because they because they are the quote unquote designated uh home team but I say all that to say uh, as we uh, get to the uh as we get to the uh, Vikings and the Saints this was a very interesting football this was a very interesting football game of course the double doink at the end. I mean, you want to talk about a painful way to uh, to lose the football game from the perspective of the uh, New Orleans Saints, who are um, who I gotta say are not going to be that good of a football team this year. I mean, I now maybe and I let me matter of fact, let me also see because I believe I also kind of got sucked up into the hype with Jameis Winston having a resurging uh, season. All for him to all for him to crash and burn and, and get injured and and substandard even I had him not so I didn't have him making the playoffs but I had him winning nine games. Now granted, Andy Dalton twenty uh twenty and twenty eight. I mean, excuse me, my goodness gracious. Granted, twenty of twenty eight for Andy Dalton two hundred and thirty six yards and a touchdown. Uh, got sacked twice, but this is not a big time football team. You had no Michael Thomas in this game. What you had no Michael Thomas to speak of, uh, catching the football, running the football. You were okay. You weren't. You you were okay. You weren't great. To Taysom Hill and uh, Latavius Murray and Marvin Ingram, uh, sharing the running load. Not neither three of them had a big afternoon, uh, running the football. One like Dalvin Cook went crazy either. Only twenty carries, seventy six yards. But how about Justin Jefferson, top receiver in the game? 10 receptions, 147 receiving yards on 13 targets on the afternoon uh, for him. And Kirk Cousins. My goodness gracious, what am I yawning? My goodness, I'm sorry. Um, 25 for 38, 273 passing yards, uh, a touchdown pass, an interception, got sacked three times. And yeah, trim- and, you know, a solid effort. Uh, and the, and of course the, uh, Vic- and of course the, uh, Vikings, uh, allowed, um, Will Lutz to get into field goal range and he ended up double doinking a 64 yard field, a 61 yard field goal, excuse me, at the Vikings own 43 yard line with two seconds left after a, ve- after a solid, uh, after a solid drive by Andy Dalton started out, he had 24 seconds to work with in the fourth quarter. Um and got a and got a nice few chunk plays. He got Olave for thirty two yards to get the ball to Minnesota's forty three, uh, Minnesota's forty three yard line, and ended up moving the ball. Uh, and that was from his own twenty five, and he was able to move it for thirty two yards to get it to the Vikings, 
43 yard line to set up a well less for a miracle field goal. But why am I yawning? Holy crap. Anyway, the Viking. If I'm putting myself to sleep, I'm probably putting y'all to sleep. I apologize. Um, anyway, the Vikings take care of business courtesy of a Will Lutz double doink by the final score of 28 to 25. And what was an interesting game across the pond. Uh, game number two, or really a top, not really so much the game, but the topic I want to break down, uh, from a game between Washington and Dallas is that Cooper Rush is 4-0 as a starting quarterback in the National Football League. He is 4-0. Four, oh. four wins, zero losses. I mean, you want to talk about just pure, insan- pure insanity and just, and just things in sports you can't explain. Cooper Rush, I tell you what it is with Cooper Rush. His team, or he, I'll, I'll do him first. Pause. But I'll I'll talk I'll talk about I'll talk about Cooper Rush first. You know Cooper Rush he's comfortable, and Kellen Moore the way he calls games, with the confidence, with the lack of worry, lack of concern, lack of oh my goodness I'm scared to death hit your knees how is how is he going to screw it up? They they don't play scared. That's the thing. They don't play scared. The Dallas Cowboy team is not afraid to take risks. And Cooper Rush isn't afraid to take risks. Now, will he go out there and sling it and will put the ball in harm's way in order to make a big play a la Dak Prescott? No, he he will not. But what he will do is he will not Lose the game for Dallas. If anything, he'll help him win. He, you know, his numbers don't jump out on a stat sheet. But when I see he only gets set, but when I see only one sack taken, two touchdown passes, no interceptions. When Dallas's running game, when Dallas's running game wasn't that good, Zeke, uh, nineteen carries, forty nine yards, seven yards his longest run. They couldn't get Tony Pollard going in the game. I, I think it's like he threw the ball tremendously well. Uh, CeeDee Lamb had a couple of nice receptions in the game. Granted, the corner William Jackson, who the who the Bengals somehow fleece Washington into taking, is 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 an embarrassment to the position. He stinks, but uh, that not a great, but a solid day at the office offensively. And then from uh, Washington's perspective, Carson Wentz is trash. Carson Wentz is trash, has been trash, always will be trash. The coaching is trash. Jack Del Rio as a defensive coordinator is trash. Uh, Titanic Ron Rivera as a head coach is trash. Nice guy. Uh, You know, did his best to change the culture temporarily when he first got there. And they rallied around him when he first when he uh, first arrived to the fran uh, first arrived to the franchise, but you know he it's it's but it's 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 enough, it's enough. This this football team for whatever the, well I know the reason is the fact that there's that there's a dark cloud over them and they're cursed because of the fact 
that because of the fact that Dan Snyder, for some ungodly reason, is still the owner of this godforsaken franchise. But still, there there is nothing. I don't I don't understand how I was talked into and how I was convinced, uh, mostly by Brendan. Thank you very much, to uh, and by my buddy Jackson that this was going to be a semi uh, semi decent football team. This team is not that good. They are not. They are not that good. They are poorly. They are poorly coached. Their offensive line, granted, they they only cards once. I got sacked twice, which is a huge, which which is a lot better than the farce that I saw against the Eagles the other the uh, the week before. But it's like eleven penalties for hundred. I mean, when you're when you're ha- when you commit more penalties and have more penalty yards charged against you than the Dallas Cowboys that led the universe in it last year and were very spotty with uh, cleaning up the penalties the first few the first three weeks of the season. When when you're when you're out cowboying the cowboying and specifically in the penalties department, that's when you know. Where you're in, where you're in some deep trouble. Eleven penalties for 136 yards, uh, and Carson Wentz two interceptions, 25 of 42, 170 yards. Uh, could just got nothing working offensively. We're lucky that they went that they went into halftime uh, up uh, up only 12-7. Because it was, they just, uh, they're just a bad football team. I'm sorry, I don't know how 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 other million ways to say it. They're just not, they're not a good football team. They have their their quarterback position is 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 ranked in the bottom tier in the NFL right now. Uh, you know they're they can't get their running game going. They have decent, not great, but decent weapons at wide receiver with Dotson and with Terry McLaurin at wide receiver. But the bottom line is, is that you you've been spinning your wheels at quarterback since uh since RG three didn't work at had uh, hasn't or excuse me since RG three did work out about nine ten years ago. Uh, you're spinning your wheels at the QB position. Your head coach is a nice guy, but is he? But is he a great? And I'm not trying to make it sound like that. There's a whole hell of a lot of great players to begin with, anyway. A great NFL head coach, excuse me, to begin with, anyway. But I mean, Ron Rivera is what you see is what you get with Ron Rivera at this point of his career. And Jack Del Rio, you know, is is completely useless. Useless, excuse me, a defensive coordinator. And your second and your defense is very, very, very overrated. I mean the defense that we saw in 2000 in select games in 2021 that but majority wasn't there last year and the defense we saw that helped this team win a division uh in uh, 2020 with a seven with a competitive and feisty 79 record is not the defense uh is not the defense that I've seen uh it's not the defense that I've seen for the major- for the last uh, season and a few games uh, here for Washington, uh, that's just whatever. Whatever happened to that defense? But now I understand the Dallas Cowboys didn't go crazy. Cooper Rush wasn't exactly, you know, had some good throws, mind you, but wasn't Roger Staubach and uh, and Ceedee Lamb. All those six exceptions off of eight targets, ninety-seven yards. They didn't. There wasn't. There wasn't a lone Cowboy player that that went ahead and just had like a career day against them. But their defense is just not that good, and it also raised the question too for Dallas. You know, 
do you like your chances with Cooper Rush heading into the Ram game this week uh, against a rat, him rather than Dak Prescott? You heard reports with that would Dak be ready to come back? You know, uh, by the Ram game, all that stuff is still yet to be decided. But if you're a Cowboy coach right now, yes, Dak is your future, but you got to look at it from this side of the coin. You know, would it be profitable to your football team? And even to with Dak's own personal health and his, you know, individual career long term to rush coming back from an injury that has to deal with your throwing hand. Would it be worth it to rush back just to kick the quarterback that's played well? That's one of the big reasons, if that's one of the biggest reasons, if anything, of why your team's won three games in a row. Would it be wise to kick him, to just be trigger happy to kick him to the curb just so you can say, hey, we have our $70 million quote unquote franchise quarterback that Prescott back. Now let's go ahead and try to, uh, you know, and try to beat the Rams on the road. I don't know. I get it. Dak's the future. And long-term, and thinking long-term, Dak is a better option at quarterback than uh, Cooper Rush is. But if the Dallas Cowboys' objective is to win games, keep pace with the 4-0 undefeated division-leading Philadelphia Eagles, to to whom we'll get to in a minute, excuse me, and, you know, win win games to get into the playoffs, then you may want to, you know, weigh the pros and cons of starting Cooper Rush to, you know, who's been, who's been playing inspired football, uh, for, you know, for lack of a more, uh, uh, just, uh, drawn out statement has just been playing inspired football. His team's been playing inspired football and thus they've rattled, they've somehow some way have won three games in a row after falling 0-1 to uh, Tampa week one, where it looked like the sky was falling and the season was over, all after one game before it really even before it really even got started, which I found to be very interesting, uh, and that and that'll be an interesting game between Dallas and the Rams coming up uh, next uh, coming up next Sunday. Speaking of the Eagles in the NFC East, they're four and zero. They're four and zero. Jalen Hurts and company continue to kick ass and take names. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, who's uh, who's had a who's had a decent, a uh, young season thus far. One of the things he's got to work on is is his ball security and ball control. I mean, they put the ball on they put the ball on the ground uh, numerous times. Matter of fact, let me look up and see uh, how many turnovers they fumbled the football. Jackson fumbled the football four times. Uh, Lawrence threw an interception. Jacksonville Jaguars cannot expect them. I understand the weather was gross. It was disgusting. It was rainy. It was wet. It was soggy. It was soaked. It was damp outside. Still, you got to be able to protect the football better than that. If that means that that the defense gets one second to hit you and that ball's got to be out of your hands or if the receiver's not there and you got to chuck the ball into the fifth row, then so be it. But they got to clean they got to clean some things up on uh, on defense there's no doubt about it um and then of course with the jets and the pittsburghs well before i get to the jets uh, i get to the uh, philadelphia eagles um and their side of things i mean they they're just clicking on all cylinders right now uh four of six inside the red zone they barely commit any penalties 
they don't turn o- they don't turn over the football. They play fundamentally sound football. Um, uh, Miles Sanders, a tremendous afternoon running the football. Twenty seven carries for one hundred thirty four rushing yards, two touchdowns on the afternoon. AJ Brown had had a solid afternoon at the office as well, and the Eagles were able to capitalize many a times off of. Uh, off of uh, Jacksonville's turnovers to give the Eagles at plenty of points uh, throughout the sequence of the game a, a short field. And then lastly, you get to the New York Jets and the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, I, I don't know how many times we have to go through this, but, you know, eventually the Steelers are not going to be able to ham and egg their way and Mike Tomlin be able to, uh, you know, you know, reach into his good old bag of tricks and pull a nine-win playoff uh, playoff wild-card uh, caliber season out of his ass like he's done uh, quite the last uh, few recent years in the uh, back end of his, ten- as of his tenure as Pittsburgh Steelers head coach. He's just eventually clock's going to strike midnight. Matt Canada's offensive play calling is, is, is offensive. Uh, they can't move the ball downfield. They rarely, if any at all, few and far in between, they take big time chances or hell even call plays to take to take uh, big time chances downfield. Um, and then of course you, and then of course the quarterback change. You you throw uh, Mitch Trubisky to the woods in favor of uh, Daniel or Daniel in favor of. Uh, in favor of uh, Kenny Pickett, I was thinking on the likes of Daniel Jones there for a second, for uh, Kenny Pickett, and uh, and now it's you know a new era for the Pittsburgh Steelers now, new era, new franchise quarterback. But if they can't find a way to put some points on the board uh, against, uh, if they can't find a way to put some points on the board against the uh, Buffalo Bills, and I don't think they will be able to anyway, Pittsburgh. Uh, Buffalo's just too good, and we'll get to their win against Baltimore in a minute. Uh, but that, but their offense is just non-existent, non-existent, a substandard, subpar, waste of your damn time offense. Uh, again, Canada needs to go. Tomlin should have been gone years ago. I've been beating the drum and pounding my chest on that for the longest time. He's way past his. He's about. He's you know what he is. He's about f- four or five years past his expiration date. He should have been canned. He should have been canned at the earliest after the Jacksonville Jaguars 2017 divisional a playoff loss, which does not feel like it was five years ago. He should have been fired after that one. He should have been fired after the 2018 season collapse. And the coup de grace should have been what occurred in 2020 when they allowed Baker Mayfield and the hated uh, Cleveland Browns walk into their building without a coach who was in his basement sick with COVID, allow him to walk into their building and embarrass him before before halftime even commenced. But uh, but that you know that's where you stand on Pittsburgh. Going to be quite a few long years unless something unforeseen happens, and uh, get used to uh, watching uh, Bengals and uh, and Ravens football because when it comes to the cream of the crop. For the AFC North this season, that's where it's going to lie. And in future years, Cleveland once they get Deshaun Watson playing. But as for now, uh, this AFC North race is a two-team race between yours truly's Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. 
and for the Jets, and and I'll get to the Ravens uh, coming and Ravens and Bills coming up after the break. But speaking about the Jets, you know, impressive win by them. Zach Wilson. I mean, this is what you're supposed to do: the changing of the culture, winning games you're not supposed to win, winning games. And in the past, you would have found fifty million different ways to blows, but still, you come away with the victory, and you come away with the win. Uh, and a side performance from uh, Wilson, nevertheless, as well. Well, we're just getting started. We'll take a break. We'll touch on uh, John Harbaugh's idiocy coming up. You're listening to the I'm Tell I Can Tell You podcast. podcast a game I want to uh, touch on here the last one on the one o'clock window as we uh, wrap up the second half of the recap is the Buffalo Bills and their comeback uh, against uh, the uh, Baltimore Ravens here in wet sloppy nasty soggy cold uh, Baltimore Maryland and it has the weather here just provide a little bit of background. The weather here since uh, fr- since Friday has just been absolutely just awful and disgusting. Uh, it's supposed to be a lot better uh, come the, by the time the weekend comes around. Uh, better yet, by Thursday, 74 and sunny on Thursday, 72 and sunny on Friday. And when the Bengals, uh, it'll be 62 degrees and clear. So the weather will be, so the, So we only got today, the the, the, the rest of t- this Tuesday here in Baltimore. And then all Wednesday with it being cold and, and wet. Because the weather here has just been just atrocious the last couple of days. And I bring it up because it's going to matter here in just a, in just a few minutes. Um, but the Buffalo Bills uh, coming back uh, and scoring uh, and scoring uh, 13 unanswered points uh, in the second half, outscoring Baltimore 13 to nothing in a 23 to 20 uh, last second victory over the Baltimore Ravens. And I tell you, and yes, I get it. The Buffalo Bills are a juggernaut. This was a confidence booster that the team needed. This is uh we're not gonna let the last second 
uh, painful uh, loss uh, against Miami on the road to find us. This was a bounce back victory. This was a victory that that I I picked Buffalo to win this game if I do if I do remember correctly. This is a game that you know Buffalo's the better team. Josh Allen's the better quarterback. Uh, Sean McDermott's the better coach. The the uh, the Bills have the better defense. The Bills are a better team than the Baltimore Ravens are from top to bottom, from head coach to quarterback to to the better defense, the team with the better weapons. Now the Ravens can run the football better than Buffalo can, but that's that's the only flaw in Buffalo's game. But outside, but outside of that, I mean, advantage goes to Buffalo in all facets of the game, or or at least when you when you line them lining them up and matching them up when it comes to the tail of the tape. Next sentence: The Baltimore Ravens should have won this game outright. They should have won this game outright. Should have kicked the Buffalo's ass, and this game should have been over beginning of the third quarter. There, the Buffalo's the better team. And so this isn't, you know, a flute because the Ravens collapsing on top of the Buffalo comeback doesn't make it a fluke victory by any stretch of the imagination on Buffalo's part. But but even still, just because the Bills are a better team doesn't doesn't excuse or absolve the Ravens for allowing a game that they had in their back pocket, a a winnable uh, winnable game. A, a a a and a in a in a in a game that looked like it was going to be on the cusp of being a blowout, and they let it slip right through their fingertips. I mean, you could you especially in the first half, you could just tell Buffalo was out of sorts. They were unorganized. They were they it looked it looked like that their minds and that their play was still in Miami. That they were still caught up with and never really shook. The bad energy from not a lot for you know from not ha- for not having or excuse me from not having enough time to get the uh, to get the final stamp off uh, when they had the ball inside Miami territory in the closing seconds of their week three loss down in South Beach against the Dolphins. It looked that they still hadn't shaken that off. That you know that that they were still. Many of issues with their offense. Josh Allen started out the game horrendously. I mean, just go ahead and look at the sheet. I mean, Buffalo's Buffalo three plays. Josh Allen throws an interception to Marlon Humphrey. Ravens go down the field, score a touchdown on a, on a short field, only taking two plays. Buffalo next possession to kick a field goal. Ravens score a touchdown following drive. Buffalo gets the ball again. They lose the ball three plays, fourteen yards. They fumble. And uh, and Williams recovers it after the forced fumble by Adolfe Owe. Ravens get the ball short field. They put up points. So it's not you know so so you know Ravens get the ball short field. You know they put the ball in the end zone. They kick a field goal, and then and then and then the Bills get the ball right back. The next two offensive possession, next two offensive possessions. The in the first half they punt. So they turned over the so they turned over the football. Two out of their first three offensive drives of the game, fumble and an interception. F- first drive only, only they only they only took. Well, it shouldn't even matter how much Sonny took off the clock, but they only moved the ball downfield a yard, a yard. 
three plays, Josh Allen throws interception and sets up any I mean you blink and it's four and it's you blink and it's twenty to three Baltimore. Twenty to three. This was a game that the Ravens should have had in their back pocket by halftime early third quarter without even thinking about it, without even second-guessing it, without having to bat an eye. This was a game that should have been signed, sealed, delivered. Ravens up 28-3, 31-3. We'll see you next Sunday night against Cincinnati. This was, this was the perfect game, it looked like in the beginning of it, for the Ravens to dominate, put away the critics, Get rid of all the bad energy and negative karma from the from the Dolphins loss and from the uh, and from the um, the uh, from the, from the Dolphins loss two weeks bef- two weeks before and the and the unnecessary and not, well not the unnecessary but the uncertainty uh, and the skepticism from their victory against uh, New England a week before and what do they do they they, they piss it right down a leg. Buffalo gets Buffalo gets the ball. Put up uh, Baltimore three plays go backwards five yards. Buffalo first possession kick a field goal to bring themselves to the touchdown. Ravens barely move the ball. Uh, five plays eighteen yards. They punt it again. Buffalo goes nine play. Uh, go takes off three minutes twenty seven seconds eighty yards nine plays goes down the field and scores. It goes down the field and scores a touchdown. And then the Ravens on their back to back offensive drives, they throw it, they throw interceptions. I mean, it it was it it was it's completely from a Ravens perspective, completely unacceptable. And listen, jot and listen, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson's allowed to have a bad game. You know, he you know he was uh he was allowed you know he's been he and Jalen Hurts as we've discussed. Uh, have been the co-MVPs at this early point in the season. So he, so although he didn't help uh, the Ravens' chance of winning by any stretch, and it is a team game, and he wasn't perfect in the game, and it wasn't like, you know, he he's abs- he's totally absolved from criticism from this Ravens loss. But you know, but at the at the end of the day, you know, he's allowed a bad game. He's a, he's allowed. He's human. He's had an excellent first three week, first few weeks of the season. He's allowed a bad game. Granted, he was bad, but he's allowed a bad game. My bigger issue is uh my bigger issue is Harbaugh the Harbaugh the head coach. You know, I, you could give him a break. You could give him a break. If this was his first and lone only time where he decided to go for two or at the end of a game or decided to bypass the field goal and put the ball in the end zone on fourth and goal on fourth and short to win again, you could let it slide if it was the first time. But considering where the Ravens are, I believe, currently on a five-game home losing streak, well, they have not won a home game since the, I forget the specific date, but since the Sunday after Thanksgiving on that Sunday night against Cleveland, where Lamar Jackson threw the ridiculous touchdown pass to Mark Andrews. They have not won a home game since then. They haven't won a home game since. And when you go back and you look 
at the home games after the Brown game and just the games that they lost in general from late November, from early December of last season, even as recent prior to Sunday with their with the Dolphin collapse a few weeks ago. It's going for it on fourth down, being stupidly over-aggressive at the wrong damn time. You could give Harbaugh a break if it's his first, if it's first time him doing this, it doesn't work. Okay, thus, you know, such is life, we'll all li- we will all live. But, considering the fact that it had costed Harbaugh, as I try to plug in my damn iPad charger, considering that this is not... Sorry. It's, it, considering it, that this is not the first time that 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 Harbaugh has fouled up a game towards the end of it with his piss-poor decision-making. This is not the first time. Do we have to go back to the multiple times he decided to go for it on fourth down and went for two-point conversions in the Packer game? Should we discuss that? Should we discuss instead of kicking the, kicking the extra point, he decides to go for two. Instead of kicking the extra point playing for the overtime, he decides to go for the gusto, go for the win, and goes for the two-point conversion all for T.J. Watt to deny the Ravens at the goal line when they played the Ravens in Heinz Field. Shall we go shall we go back to that game? Do we do we want to go back to what do we want to go back to Cleveland where he had a where he where he found, where he made stupid ass nine decisions going for two and going for it on fourth and short and fourth and goals inside the Browns red zone in the Brown game in which Lamar Jackson got hurt in which ended up ending his season. Shall we go back shall we go back to that game? Shall we go back as recently as two weeks Weeks ago, when the Ravens had the ball at about the Dolphins' 45-40 yard line on a fourth, and I'll pull it up here in a minute because we discussed this because uh, we discussed this a few weeks back. Shall we go back to the Dolphin game in the second half, where he had where all he had to do was just punt the foot, where he, all he had to do was send out Justin Tucker to kick a 50-something yard field goal, and he bypassed it to go forward on a on a I believe it was a fourth. And it was a, it might have been a fourth and six, a fourth and five. Anyway, but rather than taking the points of sending Tucker out there to kick the field goal to essentially what would have put the game away, he decides to bypass it, goes for it, uh, throwing an asinine uh, play call from uh, from the savant known as Greg Roman, the boot. And and you give the Dolphins a short field to put themselves in a position to put them to uh, to put themselves uh, down a touchdown. I find a play. It was a four. It was a fourth and one at the at the fourth and one nine sixteen ago. This is the Dolphin game two weeks ago. Fourth and one with the ball at Miami's forty yard line with nine sixteen to go in the fourth quarter. And he calls a and he calls a QB Greg Roman for that matter calls a QB draw play with Lamar Jackson out of the shotgun. All he had to do was. Just Sent out Justin Tucker to kick a to kick a field goal. Granted, long, never guaranteed, but it's Justin Tucker. And you hit the damn thing in his sleep. And if you kick the field goal, it puts Baltimore up 38-21, which would have put which would have put Miami up 17 points rather than 14 points. Would have made it a three possession game, and arguably, in all objectivity. I, and, I'm, and I and I understand hindsight's twenty twenty and money money quarterback, but I but I feel confident in saying without fear of contradiction that if you send out Justin Tucker to kick the field goal to put Baltimore up 17, Ravens win that game. May make the Dolphins may make it close at the end, 
and 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 whether or not in the margin is 17 or 7 we can debate that and and hypothesize that the cows come home but the bottom line is they sent out just Tucker to kick the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one Ravens win that game and that was 2 weeks ago not to mention the many of times he decided to go for two and or go for it on fourth down at the most inopportune time leaving leaving the greatest kicker to to the to the likes of Adam Vinatieri, this game's ever seen on the sideline that holds the NFL record for the most for the longest made field goal in NFL history. He leaves him on the sideline. We gotta go for it on 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 these fourth downs. I mean, really, really, John. I mean, what does he not know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same damn thing over and over again, expecting different results. I mean, it's it. I mean that that is what. Shout out, to, shout out to Dan Orlovsky for this. Comes up, he came up with this term on his show NFL Live on ESPN. That is what you call coaching malpractice, and that is just and that's just critiquing Harbaugh's decision to go Harbaugh's decision to go for it on fourth and goal when he's got the ball at his own two or he's got the ball at Buffalo's inside the five yard line. That's only that. Throw in the fact that he screwed up his timeouts and he wasted, wasted a, a challenge and a timeout trying to trying to determine whether or not Lamar Jackson got the first down before he ran out of bounds. Didn't didn't win the challenge. All for him to to leave his offense out there on the field anyway to try to convert on the fourth and inches with the which the Ravens ended up getting. Which, as ironic as this may sound, it actually hurts the Ravens, make Harbaugh look worse for the fact that they ended up converting on fourth and inches rather than the, rather than them not getting in on fourth and inches in that circumstance. Because because if you were going to leave your offense out there on the field and at least had it in your mind that you wanted to keep Lamar Jackson and your offense out there on the field on fourth and inches, then what the hell was the point of wasting a challenge for? Late and and late in the game, tight like this, when your offense hasn't scored a damn point since the second quarter. What 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 what's what's your reasoning behind that? Oh, okay, yeah, it was close. You felt like you could win the challenge, but if it but if it's again, it's not like you challenged it, and the difference was you know a fourth and inches versus a fourth and seven, or a fourth and inches versus a fourth and nine. No, it was it was fourth and inches. Why waste the challenge? Why waste the timeout trying to overturn something that okay it goes it goes your way great, but I mean if but it's 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 high risk, low reward in that circumstance. You didn't win the challenge. You left your offense out there on the field anyway, offered them just to convert the fourth and inches. So what was the point of wasting a timeout? Throwing the fact that with the two remaining challenges he had, he screwed up because this dopey defense, the miscommunication between Harbaugh and their new defensive coordinator, they couldn't they couldn't figure out the do we let the Buffalo Bills when they got when the Bills finally got the ball inside the Ravens ten five yard line, they couldn't make up their mind do we let them score or do we or do we stop them and you know see if we can either see if we can either make them force a turnover or make them kick a field goal and pray that we have enough time left on the clock because if it's because the only way the only way Harbaugh using his timeouts before Buffalo 
got deep inside the Ravens red zone made sense as if his philosophy was let's use our timeouts on the front end when it gets to the point where Buffalo's driving where they're guaranteed to score, let them score the touchdown with as much time left as possible. They score the touchdown, they take the lead, we get the ball back, no timeouts left, a minute and change, we go down the field and see if we can put the ball in the end zone and force the overtime. That's the only scenario where Harbaugh using his timeouts when he did during the Raven, during the Buffalo's final drive makes makes a lick of sense. That's the only way, which is why at the time I was like, well, I can't you know, necessarily kill Harbaugh for this because what he's trying to do is he's basically trying to conserve as much time on the clock on the front end, let, basically let Buffalo score, and then you know use whatever time he has remaining, whether it be 50 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute 10, a minute 15, a minute 23, whatever, and use whatever time he has remaining until Lamar Jackson or, to orchestrate a game-tying drive and try to send his game into overtime because he took a time because took his second timeout with 150 to go 10 the the second 11 right after the two-minute warning and he took a timeout with 150 to go his final timeout uh with a with a his final timeout with 143 to go in the fourth quarter and the and buffalo had gotten the and buffalo had gotten the ball at the ravens three yard line so the only way that it would have worked and it would have made logical sense is on that uh, on that second and two at the Ravens' three-yard line of Buffalo had that they let them score. You let them score, you kick the extra point, you kick off with about 141 to go in the fourth quarter. Say the ball goes out of the end zone, you give Lamar Jackson 75 yards to march down the field with 141 to go with no timeouts. That's pl- with no timeouts, that's plenty of enough time to march down the field 75 yards. Plenty. But instead, he uses up his timeouts. The memo gets conscrewed with his defense, whether or not to let uh, whether or not to let uh, Devin Singletary score a touchdown. Next thing you know, they 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 you know they, they the Buffalo gets so close to the point where they just start where they where they where they play the rate where they play hardball and to making them use up all his timeouts, take a couple of knees. Uh, Bass kicks a chip shot, 21-yard field goal with no time left from the Ravens' three-yard line. Good night, or excuse me, good morning, good afternoon, good night. Ravens will see a Cincinnati against Cincinnati. Buffalo's 3-1, and one, and all's right in uh, Orchard Park all over again. I mean, you cannot, from Harbaugh's perspective, you cannot manage the, 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 a fourth quarter of a football game any worse. You can't. Whether it's a and it's a stupid decision, okay? Like I said, the weather here has been hot garbage for the better part of the last five days, okay? And it's not like that. And, and I understand again. All due respect to Josh Allen. All due respect to the Buffalo Bills defense, which has started the season absolutely on fire. But this is not. But for on from 
with their standards or according to their standards, by their standards, this is not the same offense that put up 41 points against the Tennessee Titans in week two in our home opener and dropped 31 of the defending champs on kickoff night. Okay, they scored 19, they have over 400, they may have 500 yards of total offense against the Miami Dolphins. They scored 19 points. Okay, they were they were a sieve in the first half against, against Baltimore on Sunday. They only before they kicked the field goal, they had only scored 20 points. Only scored 20. Which I believe, without even thinking about it, not counting the Jets game, is the lowest amount of points that the Ravens defense has given up on the young season thus far. They had only scored two touchdowns in the game. Two. Put up 23 points. Josh Allen didn't throw for didn't throw for 500 yards and three touchdown passes. 213, one touchdown. Did he did what it took and had a great final drive to put Buffalo in a position to win the game? But by Josh Allen's standards, he didn't have a great game on Sunday. So your defense, which has put together a a a solid performance on the afternoon for what it's worth, and you just you 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 just lack the faith in them to hold a three point lead. And then Harbaugh sits up in the press conference after the game and contradicts himself saying, well, we trust our, well, we trust our defense. John, no, you don't. Okay, trusting your defense is kicking the damn field goal at the goal line and telling your defense to go out there and preserve a three-point lead when you only, when you only allow two touchdowns to, the, to Josh Allen's offense all afternoon long and they've only scored 20 points. That's trusting your defense. By the way, by the way when Buffalo's turned over the football twice and and Allen on his on on his on the Buffalo's opening possession through an interception. That's trusting your defense. Trust your defense isn't isn't me speaking out of both sides of my mouth saying, oh yeah, I trust my defense. But Lamar, you go out there and try to play the hero and then put the ball in the end zone. So Buffalo has to march down the field to put the ball in the end zone to tie the game up, or go for the, or put the ball in the end zone and go for the two point conversion and 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 try to and try to win the game that way. No. When you have been held scores the entire second half, you take the damn points. Period. End of story. I don't care. I don't care if you're playing the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills with Jim Kelly and Stephon Diggs on the team. I don't care if you're playing the '90s Bills with Jim Kelly, uh, Andre Reed, and Thurman Thomas in the backfield. I don't care if you're playing the Buffalo Bills team from the '70s with OJ in the backfield. I don't care if you're playing the 2007 Patriots with Randy Moss. Brady and the crew. I am not interested. When your offense had been a sieve like the Ravens was in the second half, and Lamar Jackson put together the drive of the 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 Ravens' best drive of the game. Well, like he got the ball with a short field or a ham and egg this way to get the ball inside Buffalo's five yard line. Fourteen plays, ninety three yards, took nine minutes and twenty three. Excuse me, nine minutes and twenty nine seconds off the clock. And instead of selling for the field goal and taking your points, we hadn't scored a damn thing since the second quarter. You decided to bypass it, play hero, and try to put the ball in the end zone. Really. And then on top of it, you run the same damn stupid ass nine play you ran with Tyler Huntley in the Packer game, where everybody rolls to one side of the end zone near the near near the near sideline, and you have Mark Andrews colliding with a fellow receiver that's that that's that's that that he's two times the size of. Pass play is easily is easily defended against, 
and you walk away with no points. I mean, if you're, if you're a Ravens fan, you got to be living. You got to be living. Because that's the second time in, that's the second time in three weeks you've had a game right there for the taking and you've pissed it down your leg. And you especially can't take it from Harbaugh much longer because you, because keep in mind, you guys lost a division. Ravens lost the division with Harbaugh making stupid mistakes like that. So it's not like, oh, well, it is what it is. No, you guys sat at home after the Pittsburgh game because of stupid decisions like Harbaugh made on Sunday and stupid decisions going for it fourth one when you got the ball at Miami's 40-yard line with an opportunity to go up 17 and you have Justin Tucker as your field goal kicker. That's why you guys were at home when you had an 8-3 and three record and you choked on your own soup. You get the benefit of the doubt, Harbaugh, if it's the first time. Or if you making these decisions don't come back later in your season to bite you in the ass. But they did. They've done it twice this year, and, you, and, it, and it happened many of other times last season. Whether it be against Green Bay, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, take your pick. You do yourselves no favor leaving points on the table. None. Anyway, let us continue. Green Bay Packers took care of business, winning an OT, nearly uh, losing to uh, New England Patriots third-string quarterback Zappi after uh, Brian Hoyer had to come out of the game early in the first half. Taking care of business, OT victory, 27-24, beating New England. You know, the, something about Green Bay, excuse me, that would uh, that would concern you, is that, they're, is that they got to get themselves together on offense. I don't know. It, it's this lack of continuity between Rodgers and his young receiver. They ran the ball well. Aaron Jones, phenomenal afternoon. 16 carries, 110 on the ground. A.J. Dillon. Not too shabby either, 17 carries, 73. But they got, and Alan Lazard played well, uh, six receptions, 116 yards and eight targets. But the rest, I don't know whether it's the lack of continuity with uh, Rodgers and the young receivers or what, but they, they got, they got, they have to play better than this. And Rodgers said it after the game, he did a, uh, he did a he did a uh, he did a tremendous job ju- dissecting it in the post game, saying, "Listen, this is this is us winning games like this uh, is not sustainable long term. In order for us to get to where we want to go, and he, you know what? He's absolutely right. You know, they the Packers cannot expect to win games when they go into the wire 
uh, against teams with against teams with backup quarterbacks, where basically Belichick and the offensive uh, and the offensive coaches for New England basically say, okay, go out there and make go out there and make plays, but within this little box that we're leaving you in, because we can't ha- we can't risk you, you know, making a mistake uh, with your arm and costing us the ga- and costing us the game, giving Green Bay short field throwing a pick six and everything else. But they they got there's there's no there's little to no flow little to no uh, chemistry. Aaron Rodgers played as bad of a first half you ever going to see in your life. Of uh, the pick six, if the Patriots had a won this game, would have been a not big, but a tremendous difference maker uh, in the game because this Patriot offense, uh, you know, it today had or excuse me on Sunday had as had enough problems trying to put the ball in the end zone as is. But Rodgers gifting them and spotting them a free seven points. I mean, when you're when you got the better quarterback, the better roster, and you're just a, and you're the you know the better team. You cannot under you just, you cannot be in a position if you're Aaron Rodgers giving your opponents free free touchdowns. You just, you, you can't you can't have it, and it nearly came back to bite him in the ass. But the uh, Green Bay Packers defense, which has been solid uh, all season long throughout the first four weeks, uh, did their job. They kept the they kept the Patriots uh, they kept the Patriots offense in check for the most part. Uh, during, you know, loud, they had some moments where they fouled out where they fouled up to make it interesting. But uh, the Packers defense did their job. The Patriots couldn't move the ball downfield whatsoever when they got the ball. Uh, in the over in the, when they got the ball in the overtime period, three plays, five yards, couldn't do a damn thing. And when they also got the ball uh, at their own two yard line, again, Patriots coaching Belichick isn't going to allow Zappy to to make a stupid, ill advised decision or pass play when they're backed up inside their own five yard line. So you know they one bad pass and the Packers walk into the end zone with you know for a pick six or a scoop and score or they set up Mason Crosby to kick. A a chip shot field goal that you people out there listening, uh, listening to this show could pro- you know could probably make if you practice it a couple of times. So, you know, so the Patriots don't want didn't want their quarterback Zappy to uh, win the game, uh, but you know when you play not to lose more times than not, you always end up taking the L in the end, and that's what the New England Patriots did fall in the one and three on on the season as the Packers are three and one undefeated at Lambeau Field. As they head to, uh, as they head across the pond to take on the uh, New York Football Giants coming up next Sunday, uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs, boy oh boy oh boy, how about the Kansas City Chiefs? You know that was a that that was a and I, and looking back on it while I was watching the game, I said to myself, "You idiot! How in the how in the hell and why in the hell did you ever pick?" the Tampa Buccaneers to win this game. And it completely flew over my head when I made the pick that uh that th- that this was I mean I know it was a rematch, but the fact that it was going that it was Sunday night football in that same building and the same building as Super Bowl 55 the little little roster turnover with the two teams still Brady versus Mahomes. Bowles was defensive coordinator for the team, so Arians isn't there, but he was defensive mastermind that was responsible for giving Mahomes hell 
uh, in that Super Bowl two seasons ago. Uh, Andy Reid, of course, he and Miami still there. Kelsey still there. Clyde Edwards and Lair still there. So, and I was like, why in the world? Why in the world did I ever pick against Kansas City to win this game? This was a game, and I understand again hindsight twenty twenty, but this was a game that you could have saw you, that you saw that you could see from you 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 could have seen or excuse me could have saw from a mile away that the Kansas City Chiefs were going to do nothing but kick ass and take names on Sunday night. Even wore the same uniforms for crying out loud. Tampa with the pewter pants and the white jerseys and the Chiefs wearing their uh wearing their home reds. I mean, it it was just and and having the banner up there to remind Kansas City, hey, it's twenty twenty champions, Super Bowl fifty five. I mean, Mahomes couldn't. Have, I mean, he made one bad pick that if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had any, they also as well along with Green Bay need to find some rhythm and need to find a way to put together some. I understand they scored thirty one points and uh, and a good half and a good portion of those points were garbage time. Uh, regardless sound points and Brady throwing for three five three touchdown passes, uh, you know, a good chunk of those were garbage time, but they that's another team though. I, we, we, they got to find some continuity and some rhythm with the with the, with uh, offensively. And with Tampa, it's no excuse. At least uh, with Green Bay, you know, you can point to the receivers that they don't have anymore. And Randall Cobb, who's past his prime. I mean, they had Mike Evans back coming off the suspension, who box score-wise had a decent night, eight receptions, a buckle, three, two touchdowns. Uh, but, you know, they had him back. You had Godwin back. And for whatever the re- Julio Jones played as well. Only got thrown to twice, but... Yeah, Julio Jones playing as well, and it was a very subpar performance from Tampa Bay uh, offense in terms of getting, in terms of the timely scoring. I don't mean you know them scoring as in just racking up points. I mean the timely scoring, as is you know the timely scoring when they need it. For a perfect example, when the bucket when Kansas City couldn't capitalize when the ball I don't know how in the hell Clyde Edwards or Alaire somehow dropped the pass that hit him right in his mitts. They couldn't convert on a fourth and short. Gave uh, Tampa Bay a decent field position to work with. Tom Brady doesn't see the doesn't see the DB blitz coming. He gets popped and he fumbles the football and gives it right back to Kansas City. I mean, so like situations like that. I mean, if you're Brady, if you're Brady, got to pick up the blitz. If your offensive line of Tampa Bay, you got to find out that you got to find a way to maneuver way around that blitz. And uh, it was one play, go back 12 yards, Kansas City gets the ball back, a gift right back. And that, and it was 21-10, it was 21-10 Kansas City at the time. So if Kansas City goes, excuse me, if Tampa goes down the field and puts the ball in the end zone and scores a touchdown, it's 21-17 Kansas City. Or 21-18 if they decide to go for two and they're only down a field goal. Kick an extra point and they're down four points. Point is... No pun intended. That's a one-possession game. If Brady holds on to the football, takes care of the football, offensive line picks up their it picks up uh, their blocking assignments, and all of a sudden you got yourselves a ball game. Instead, Brady gets hit, fumbles the football, first play from scrimmage, uh, first play from scrimmage, first play of the drive. Kansas City gets the ball back, short field, six plays, 20 yards, March down the field to go up 18, 28, 10, Kansas City, and that's all she wrote. 
So, you know, Buccaneers had many opportunities to make this game tighter and closer than what it than what it was and uh, what it was throughout the sequence of the game and what it looks and what it looked like on paper, but you know, they they then they couldn't cap they couldn't have timely scoring. You know, baseball you say timely hitting, well Buccaneers couldn't score points in a timely enough of a manner, you know. And then of course to get the ball back their following possession 12th place 75 yards. 28-17 Kansas City. I mean, that they should have put together a 12th place 75-yard drive or there or a drive around that uh, around that uh line thereabouts the previous drive to put themselves within a field goal within four points. Instead they turn over the football and then Kansas City short field puts the ball in the end zone in six plays. And and you just start and it's just you know running in a hamster wheel where you're always playing catch up playing from behind where you know you're cutting deficits from th- from three from three touchdown deficits to two the two touchdown and a field goal deficits to two touchdown deficits and it's just like you're always always playing catch up on top of the fact that Tampa is just and that's a, and that falls on just piss poor coaching. I mean you cannot under any circumstances fumble. The opening kickoff to give Kansas City a short field. I mean, and part of me thought right then and then, watching it live, that hey, that 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 basically was the what was 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 a that right there, ladies and gentlemen, was a microcosm for the for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night. Them fumbling the opening kickoff. Right then, and in Kansas City, wasting no time, only taking two plays to put the ball in. That was a microcosm for their night, right? Just right in that, right in a snapshot, right in a play. That was that. That was their night, and how, and and just a sure tell, foreshadowing sign of how their night was going to go. Right from that opening kickoff uh, turnover, but the Chiefs got revenge. Mahomes, the eye took it personally. Michael Jordan game for him, twenty three at thirty seven. Three touchdown passes on the night. Ran the ball surprisingly well. Clyde Edwards, not a bad night. 19 carries, 92 yards, a touchdown a run for him. Travis Kelsey, nice night at the office. Nine receptions, caught a touchdown pass uh, as well. And then Tampa and just abandoned the run altogether. I understand playing from a deficit, but I mean, my goodness. Brady throwing the football 52 times. Only ran it six for only, for only three rushing yards. I mean, I don't care if you're playing from behind from a deficit or not. At the NFL level, I mean, that is... And with Leonard Fournette, and Leonard Fournette is is a better running back than... Uh, and a better running back than Clyde Edwards-Alaire is, historically, and, and you could argue right now. That's just completely unacceptable. Lack of run game and having to play a way out of a hole, an early one that Tampa Bay put themselves in. Thus, as a result, Kansas City 41, Tampa Bay 31. It wasn't even really that close. And then you got the Rams on uh, losing to the 49ers on Monday night. You know, And before I get to the 49ers side of things, with the Rams, they also have another issue, too, with them. And it almost, and, it had, and if Aaron Donald had not been on the football field, I guarantee you, that them abandoning the run as quick as they did in the Super Bowl would have came back to bite them in the ass in the Super Bowl. Because you're seeing a trend with the Rams that's starting to develop 
and it's not a healthy one if they plan on winning football games and getting back to the Super Bowl where they just where it's just the Cooper where it's like they found out that the Matthew Stafford Cooper Cup combination got them to a Super Bowl and got them a championship and now it's their hell bent on just making it work you know, by any means necessary. And in the long term, that's not, that's not going to, if you, if you guys plan on making it back to another Super Bowl and being the first team in 18 years repeating, just to give you a little words of advice that you, y'all's play calling and your offensive decisions, McVay, boy, genius and Stafford keep doing what you're doing and you won't find your way back in another Super Bowl because when the whole building knows that Cooper Cup is getting the ball, I understand 14 receptions, 122, big whoop. He got targeted 19 times. I mean, can can even when you do throw the football, can Van Jefferson, or excuse me, Van Jefferson, speaking of not Van, Van Jefferson needs to be on this damn football team. That's part of the problem. Uh, but he wasn't the one I was initially referring to. Can Allen Robinson get thrown to more than six times? I mean, what what bug does Matthew Stafford have up his caucus when it comes to giving Allen Robinson the ball? B- didn't give him the ball uh, in their loss where he where where they sure as hell could have used him uh, week one against uh, week one against Buffalo, and then last night uh, a nice uh, rousing two receptions for seven yards, six targets. I mean, really, really. But going back to my original point, they abandoned the run way too damn quickly, and and it's it's getting and it's getting to be a problem. I understand that Cam Makers essentially has not been himself since he tore his Achilles in the preseason of the, of the twenty twenty one year, but they, their running game stinks. When you're a one dimensional offense, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you you can't be a one dimensional offense. Even in a past happy national football league, you can't be a one dimensional offense and and expect a for it to work. You know, a hundred percent of the time. B for you to be able to put points up on a consistent day day in day out game in game out basis. And three, expect to win Super Bowls. I mean, you gotta be somewhat of a. It's okay if you're more of a passing team than a running team. But if it's but if the ratio is past ninety running ten, you you you're gonna find yourself you're gonna find you're gonna be finding yourself having a lot of long games where you know where you're struggling and getting you to score touchdowns like pulling teeth because and it's one thing if it's not working, but if it's early in a game and you gotta play from like a a, a light deficit or whatever and you're just Okay, okay, we haven't broke it. We haven't busted a 35-yard run. Let's wash our hands clean and just have Matthew Stafford drop back and throw it 48 times with a piss-poor offensive line getting his ass pounded into the turf seven times. And it's the Cooper Cup and uh, Matthew Stafford show like it was like it was all year last year, thinking ignorantly that basically teams just going to just let y'all pull the same crap and let y'all – uh, run your show the same way you did last year. I mean, y'all are, are sadly, sadly, sadly mistaken. You, you are, uh, just listen to these lines. Henderson seven carries, twenty-seven yards. Acres eight carries, thirteen yards. I mean, this is horrible. As a team, they only ran the football eighteen times for a grand total of fifty-seven rushing yards. 
That's not gonna. That's when your when your offensive line is battered to hell and back, and Stafford's throwing the football forty eight times. Why even bother putting in putting in a putting in a run defense or 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 or, or calling a run defense? I should say. Why even bother? Tell your defensive lineman to pin your ears back. You know, secondary linebackers, y'all play back to defend the pass, and the defensive front just go out there and get after Matthew Stafford, and eventually, and eventually, the dam's gonna break, and you're gonna and you're gonna be sacking him every single three step drop he takes. One dimensional offense. Sean McVay's gotten again way too predictable. And and again, if I guarantee freaking to you, if you take a if you take Eli Apple off the Bengals feet off the Bengals sideline, and you take Aaron Donald off the Rams sideline, this is a game. And I don't mean to rehash and reopening up a wound and still going back to Super Bowl because I know nobody cares. But it's a theme that I recognize watching that game back in February that I and it, and it's and I'm still seeing the same theme. Uh, re re and, and seeing it uh, rehash his ugly head again, and this time uh, the Rams aren't fortunate enough to get away with it like they were like they were uh, last year. Too predictable, too he- too reliant on uh, on Cooper Cup, and are not running the football. And it's not like not running the football a la my Bengals where it's like they call in a bunch of run plays and they just can't get anything going. No, they're abandoning it the first opportunity they get. Boy, genius McVay is becoming as predictable as your local high school offensive coordinator. Running, you know, offenses from 1962. And the 49ers, all they do is just kick ass and take names when they play the Rams. I mean, I, I I try not to this time take too much stock in the 49ers beating the Rams because sometimes it's sometimes the you know some in sports where it's just one team and where one opponent when they play that one specific team, it doesn't matter how they're doing before the game, after the game, you know where they're playing doesn't matter. Their championship can die. They always just find a way when they play that specific opponent, it brings out the best in them. And whenever the 49ers play the Rams, at least in the regular season for that matter, the Rams always get the best out of the 49ers. And for whatever the reason, you know, the same can't be said in return. But they always get the best out of them. They always, always, always do. And every single time they play them, the 49ers look like Super Bowl contenders. Jimmy G looks like Joe Montana. And and this team looks like it should be a clear cut favorite to make it out of Super Bowl in the NFC. The problem is is what the 49ers do in games when they aren't playing the Rams is is what if you're a 49er fan concerns you and and you know and if you're not a 49er fan makes you say oh okay well this is why this team you know is where they are and has the issues and has the issues that they have and have to deal with. But you know Jimmy Garoppolo, sixteen to twenty-seven, two thirty-nine touchdown pass, and then how about Debo Samuel? I mean, you want to talk about just lightning on a football field? He, Lamar Jackson, Tyreek Hill, watching them with the ball in their hands is as a as a diehard football fan for the last fifteen years has been an absolute thing of beauty to watch. 
They are they are they are like sports cars on a football field. The three of them: Tyreek, Debo, and Lamar. That when the ball is in their hand, if you're if you're a fan of their opponent, y'all you best hold your breath, hit your knees, and say a prayer to Jesus because it because it could get bad and get ugly for you real quick and in a hurry. I mean, Debo Samuel with a six reception, 157 yard receiving night. Had that remarkable, electrifying 57-yard catch and run and bailed out Jimmy G and saved a would have been interception. Goes up, climbs ladder, catches it, comes down and avoids a, avoids a handful of tackles and just outruns the San Francisco, excuse me, the Los Angeles Ram defense. I mean, that on the young season, a quarter of the way through, that is the leader in the clubhouse, my friends, for the quote-unquote touchdown of the year. Because that that is a run, a catch and run, so far this season that I haven't seen prior to last night. But he is a special, special talent, and you see why he moved heaven and earth and kicked and screamed and uh, and made it known they to the San Francisco front office that he wanted his money. You can see why he, he and, and you know what the kicker is he may still after all that be underpaid. You can see why. Debo and Tyreek Hill, they are a they are in a league and in a class of their own where, you know, where where they defy the uh where they defy the the uh the the the, the prototype or not the prototype where but they defy the the logic of not paying and not giving wide receivers uh big time chunky contract extensions they 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 are so good and so dynamic and so special to what not only they can provide from the wide receiver position but what they can provide uh just as an offensive weapon and a part of their specific offense on the football field they what they what those two players do is just something that that uh, that at least in my estimation, in my opinion, I've never seen on a football field before. But the 49ers just absolutely just took it to the LA Rams. And I'd say, and Troy Aikman made a point, and I've been saying it all along, he's a thousand percent correct. For for in in the current position where the 49ers are right now, where they're a win now team with a top level roster two through fifty three, a roster and a team with a coach that are ready to win now, ready to avenge their Super Bowl defeat against the against uh, Kansas City was going on now three years ago. Jimmy G is the man for the job. Again, they cannot sit up here and ill afford to be wasting championship to wait to they can ill afford to waste. Uh, Super Bowl, the Super Bowl window that they have, trying to make sure that Trey Lance gets his sea legs under him to boost his little confidence. To hell with that. They're a win now team. And they certainly played like it on Monday night in Santa Clara. We take a break to get the Major League Baseball as their regular season of 2022 comes to a close. This is the Until I Can Tell You podcast.
Welcome back to the Untelic TIS podcast. Switching gears now to Major League Baseball as we enter the back end of the show. A couple of teams clinched in the last time that we last chatted. Uh, we will start with the uh, American League, and that is the uh, the uh, Toronto, the uh, Seattle Mariners, and the Tampa Bay Rays clinching wild card spots uh, as all six of the American League uh, playoff teams are finalized. The Seat- the uh, Cal Riley uh, hit a walk hit a walk off solo home run to knock off the A's in a two one. A dramatic, emotional uh, uh, victory for the Seattle Mariners to take care of business against the Oakland A's last Friday night in the wee hours of uh, Saturday morning here on the East Coast. And by virtue of that, it officially eliminated uh, my Baltimore Orioles from 2022 MLB postseason contention, albeit with their uh, impressive victory over the uh, New York Yankees last Friday night and the Tampa Bay Rays who had won earlier that night, uh, the Rays winning and the Mariners winning at the same time on Friday night, regardless of what the Orioles did, was going to knock the Orioles out. The Rays took care of business and clinched the wild card spot uh, on Friday on uh, on Friday night earlier in the evening, and the Seattle Mariners went out there and took care of business. Ended the longest drought in uh, in all in all four of uh, American of North American professional. Uh, men's sports, uh, with it being twenty-one years since the uh, Seattle since the Seattle Mariners' uh, last uh, postseason appearance back in two thousand and one. Of course, we had a historical season, one hundred sixteen games, got bounced by the New York Yankees in the O one ALCS. They have not been back to the postseason since until uh, until this upcoming weekend in the wild card series. Uh, as of as of where things stand right now, they have a game and a half advantage over the Tampa Bay Rays for the uh, for the second for the uh, fifth excuse me for the fifth seed second wild card spot. So it looks like as the things are right now on Tuesday night that the Seattle Mariners will host the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays have to fly cross country for the wild card series coming up later this weekend, and Toronto would ha- would have to uh, make the trip to Cleveland to take on the uh, Cleveland Guardians as the uh, lone divisional winner and the th- with the third worst uh, d- record amongst the division uh, winners uh, in the American League. And, they, and the Guardians would host Toronto in a best-of-three wildcard round coming up later this weekend as well with the top two seeds in the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees, of course, both of winning their divisions uh, winning their re- divisions respectively by a decent margin. They, of course, get the first round by. And after uh, Wednesday, there will be no more Astro and Yankee baseball for about a good week or so with uh, as far with, uh, with those two respective teams. Uh, the Orioles, listen, uh, just to provide a little quick, uh, before I get to the uh, National League, just to provide a quick, uh, and also touch on Tony Russo as well. Uh, just provide a quick little uh, eulogy, if you would, uh, regarding or provide a little quick eulogy, if you would, regarding their season. Listen, every Orioles fan you're going to come across, including yours truly, will tell you that no one saw this team uh, winning seventy, winning eighty-two games this season. 
uh, finishing 500 or better for the first time in six years since 2016. Nobody could have predicted the 10-game winning streak they had in July. Nobody could predict that they, at one point in time, uh, had, I forget the date, but held a wild card spot briefly in the American League, coming within a half a game, a game, a game and a half of a wild card spot in the American League, playing meaningful baseball after Memorial Day, uh, winning baseball in June, July, and August. 500 baseball and all three of those uh and all three consecutive summer months uh no nobody could predict you know a set, winning the season series against the big bad Houston Astros uh who in the world the players in the locker room predicted it they predicted it they knew it they believed it in their hearts you know when they broke camp you know Rugnado Dory heard the if you read the quotes basically said among other things hey nobody exiting you know when we broke a, tr a uh, training camp back in March and at this point early uh, April with the lockout nobody anticipated us or expected us to be a good a, a good feisty competitive uh, baseball team but we did it looked like it was going to be the same old Orioles through the through the first month and a half of the season and then essentially mixed in with uh, with Anthony Santander's Walk off home run, walk off home run he hit to avoid getting swept by the Yankees, and th then that that followed by Rugnado Dora hitting the walk off home run to walk off the uh, Rays the 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 game after the next day against Tampa in the twelfth inning I believe in extra innings after the Orioles had gone a full four years since their last walk off home run and they hit two of them in back to back games the walk off division opponents and then followed by that game and although they didn't win it but followed by that with the major league debut the long highly anticipated and asked for major league debut of Adley Rutschman who's just been a complete godsend and will be the Joe Burrow slash Buster Posey for this franchise for the foreseeable future here in the 2020s, who's just been absolutely otherworldly and was voted most valuable Oreo earlier this week. Uh, and then, of course, in a in a crazy, wacky game down to the final out, final strike many a times, and they walk off the uh, Rays later on that weekend as Adley Rutschman scored the winning run in his first ever win as a uh, as a major league baseball as a uh, major league baseball player uh at the big league level. So it's just been a tremendous sensational season. The seat the, the pitching, the bullpen the majority of their uh strong run throughout the summer was uh, was as was top 5 top 5 top 3 best bullpen in the American League. Uh, they are. They were a damn good team at home, and they are going to finish with an above 500 record at home this season, finishing no worse than 44 and 37, and, and no better than 46 and 35, finishing with above 500 record uh, at home. Uh, in in what in county yards, which and of course extending the wall, pushing the wall back and raising it, which was under tremendous scrutiny by some fans and a lot of members of the national media and players amongst the sport alike. I had no issues with it when it was announced uh, during the off season, none whatsoever. If it if decreasing the home runs that the starting pitching gives up by you know and slicing that percentage number and that ratio number in half 
you know, and by essentially moving the wall back and raising it from 7 feet to 12 feet. Does it look funky? Yes. Will it take some getting used to? Yes. Will it be times where we'll curse the wall and wish it wasn't pushed back and wish it was shorter? Yes, but if it means that we give up less runs on the front end with our starting pitching staff that's still trying to find itself and, and it somehow may entice, uh, may give a little bit more of a, of a uh, incentive to the free agent starting pitcher out there that may want to come to Baltimore but doesn't because the because they got a pitch in that band box of a ballpark about, uh, what, roughly 10 to 15 times a season, then you know what? It is, you know what, it is what it is, move the fence back. And that's a huge reason why the Orioles, uh, you know, will finish with a plus 500 uh, home uh, record. Um, Had not their start, had not their starting pitching and their pitching in general uh, fizzled out in September, they'd finish with a plus, with a, with a, uh, with a run differential in the green instead of in the red. Unless they go out there and they blow out Toronto in the two meaningless games on uh, in the doubleheader final day of the season on Wednesday, but um, but it's a good season, you know. Adley Rutschman inject inject a different mindset, inject some life into this team, uh, which you know it's, it's only the beginning. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, tremendous talent, many a web gym moments at first base. Austin Hayes, who you know, who fizzled out in the, in the majority of the second half, could not hit a lick, but had a damn, damn, damn good first half of the season and had an exceptional month of June. Hit for the cycle, uh, in a uh, in a in a monsoon against the Cubs, I believe, back in June. Uh, you know, it's had his highlights. Jorge Mateo with the speed on the base paths and the, and the web gem of the plays, albeit you know, a lot of times he couldn't you know couldn't get the bat off his shoulders. And even Ruth Meadowdor with him hitting 197, 202, 205, even the clutch moments he's had in the season, whether it's the walk off home run against Tampa, the game tying home run we made 90 millionaires against Texas, the the home run to put the Orioles out in front in a rain delay game. It seemed like that was the last big game the Orioles won against Toronto that they had to have uh, when they played Toronto back in August uh, after rain. So it's like even he's had his moments of a clutch. This uh, Cedric Mullins, down season for him compared to the 30-30 season, nearly in for 300 he had in 2021, but still a productive season nevertheless. 30 stolen bases, grown leadership presence in the locker room. Anthony Santander over 30 home runs of this season. I mean, uh, you know, and then, of course, Jorge, uh, Jose Bautista, Jose Bautista, uh, Felix Bautista, the mountain, as we call him here, sensational job taking the closer role when Jorge Lopez was traded back in July uh, and essentially the team not missing a beat after he was gone. Um, Santander, of course, with 33 home runs, leading the team in RBIs with 89. Um, just a tremendous job leading the team in slugging and OPS as well. Uh, you know, what What more can you say? Trey Mancini and his contributions when he was an Oriole up until uh, early August. The walk-off uh, single he had against, uh, the, against the Angels to extend the winning streak and, and, uh, and, and the when the inside the park home run he had in his last ever home game as an Oriole on Mo Gabba Day was special. 
I mean, he was, uh, he's just as much a part of this special season as the players that are still on the roster on October the 4th. Um, but, you know, seeing and experiencing the Orioles playing meaningful games in late July, all throughout the month of August, and at least in the beginning, really even through the month of September, no matter how many times I was like, you know, they're dead, they're out of it, and they really were never mathematically out of it until until the calendar switched to October the 1st. But seeing them play meaningful baseball games, important baseball games with a playoff-like atmosphere at Oriole Park and Camden Yards, something that we have not had in this city and at that stadium for six years and finishing with 80-plus wins, 81 wins to reach the 500 barometer and 82 wins to, to, uh, to go through. Uh, and break the uh, 500 uh, barometer is just something special. And who can forget the 10-game winning streak? You know, he go back, go back in the way back machine. Um, uh, with the 10-game winning streak they had back in July, where they, uh, you know, where they, where they avoid, where it was a, they had a bad series and they actually had a rough stretch. Where they uh, had lost four games in a row, lost the back, lost two games where they couldn't, where they couldn't hit uh, on uh, June twenty eighth and 29th in Seattle, lost lost the series up in Seattle, and then came back to, and then came eastward to uh, to Minnesota, got walked off twice back to back nights, then future. Uh, or, uh, Twins closer at the time, current or or at or at that moment in time, uh, uh, Orioles closer Jorge Lopez, which ended up ironically enough being the uh, Twins closer uh, with Jorge, ends up blowing back to back saves on fr- on uh, on the first and second of July, heading heading into uh, the third, trying to avoid getting swept to get off the deck. Finally, good starting pitching bullpen holds on. They win three one. They go out there to come back home. Had the they have the uh, they have the wild crazy game. Adley Rushman down to this final strike hits a game tying double off the right field scoreboard. Uh, the force extra frames. Jorge Mateo on a walk off hit by pitch wins the game seven six in the bottom of the ninth inning. And then ten not and then on uh, and then the following day on July the fifth. Uh, the Orioles just they one of the most crazier games of the year where the Orioles had the game won about five times in the later innings. Of course, Rugnetto Doors go ahead home run in the uh, go ahead home or game was it? I think it was either was game tying or go ahead that he hit in the uh, yeah, it was game tying home run that he hit in the ninth inning. And that was when uh, when Ryan McKenna defeated the Great Wall in left field, tying the game up in the eighth inning, and the Orioles fouled it up and allowed the and kept the Rangers in the game. Ended up walking it off ten nine, then one two one that Wednesday. Here come the Angels, come to town. They pitched tremendously well. They beat them four to one. Friday night, you know, all home runs. Trout and Trout with a three run home run. Uh, in the uh, top of the third inning, and then Otani, and then Otani gets one on the board in the top of the ninth off Dylan Tate. I thought it was, I thought it was over. I thought it, you know what, you know it is what it is. And then all of a sudden, and then throw in, and then throw in them fighting back in the, with a run in the seventh, a run in the eighth, and then a three-run ninth inning. Trey Mancini, uh, with you know with the with the with the swirlings of him possibly getting traded and the. And, and and him going through with cancer and everything and it's just 
and 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 it's just and and all of a sudden you know you you what you raise your head and you're walking off the angels with your third walk off win of the week and all of a sudden you're riding a, you're riding a, a six game winning streak and then one and then su- and then sunday excuse me that saturday the day later you know in, in a in a misty Muggy Oriole Park at Camden Yards beat the Angels in a one nothing pitcher's duel and you got your fans sitting on pins and needles as if it's game seven of the ALCS. And then and then game on Peacock July the tenth, you know, at noon, and you kick the Angels' teeth in to extend the winning streak. And then you head you have an off day, think will it take the win out of their sales when they go to Chicago? It doesn't, and then they win games number eight and nine to have a ten game winning streak. And at that moment in time, they and the, ironically enough, the Seattle Mariners were uh, neck and neck with the two longest, most uh, with the two longest uh, winning streaks in all of baseball. The Mariners, I believe, reached and were able to make it to about thirteen consecutive games in a row. Beat the Orioles by three. The Orioles fizzled out, had another off day, uh, and ended up uh, coming close, but no cigar, having their win streak snapped on July the fifteenth, losing to uh, Tampa Bay. And then, you know, they were down the next... I mean, I go on and on and on. Just to be, just an absolutely remarkable, ridiculous season. And it's one that us Orioles fans that remember the suffering, that remember, you know, that remember what it's like not playing and playoff, not playing meaningful baseball games in a regular season. This is a season that us Orioles fans aren't going to forget for a long, long time. And it's also going to be a, a season that where, that where the Orioles and I truly believe they are going to they are going to win the World Series in 2024, and they are going to make the playoffs in 2023. But this is the season that's that I anticipate is going to be the launch pad for the uh, Baltimore Orioles coming up later in the 2020s decade. But having said all of that, we go to the National League. The Cardinals, of course, win the Central, uh, which which in some at various points in the season nobody saw coming. The the uh, Brewers couldn't hit, so they say good night uh, to their postseason hopes as well. Uh, the uh, the uh, you go to the West. The Dodgers, of course, ran away with the ran away and hit with the NL West. The 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 San Diego Padres. Uh, finish the deal, uh, get a and clinch a wild card uh, spot, coming at being a second team in the NL West to um, second team in the NL West to uh, to uh, make the to make the postseason, and of course in the East when the Philadelphia Phillies were like they were dead to rights, they fired Girardi. It worked temporary. It worked temporarily. Had a nice little winning streak, knocked off the Angels on nine yards. They went back into the abyss. And then can then pulled themselves out of the pits of uh, out of the pits of baseball hell, and somehow Sway ended up clinching a wild card spot, becoming three out of three out of the five teams, and being that third team in the National League to lock up a postseason spot as a wild card team. Now the drama lies is who will be the other wild card team coming out of their division to join them. Will it be the Atlanta Braves, who currently, at this moment in time, currently at 9.46 in the East on Tuesday, uh, hold a one-game lead over the Mets, uh, who just got absolutely just shellacked, smacked around, and just beaten to a pulp by the Atlanta Braves down in Atlanta this weekend? Uh, it just, I mean, the Grom, when you're paying the Grom, it sure is all that money, and they cannot, 
uh, and they cannot close the deal. I'm sorry, you know. And they were able to hit on, uh, and they were able to hit on on Sunday, and uh, and were able to get some decent run support. But their lineup is not the same. Lindor's trying to do too much. Vogelbach, uh, uh-uh. uh, and uh, and they they desperately, desperately, desperately miss uh, Starlin Marte, who is just who who him not being in that lineup has completely killed this Met offense and uh and when DeGrom and Scherzer in the two biggest regular season games that the uh, Mets have have played in quite some time lay an egg and spit the bit I mean that that that's 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 not answering the bell when you talk about being the great starting pitcher in the sport you know the likes of Sandy Koufax and Bob Gibson and and Tom Seaver and and Doc Gooden when he was in his prime when you talk about the great starting pitcher, the great, they gotta win those two starts against Atlanta. You have to. With all the money that they're making, all the hype on, nobody cares about you know fanning you know twelve Pittsburgh Pirate players and twelve Washington Nationals players. Met fans not interested. Paying all that money and you spit the bit and you lay an egg, and as a result. The Atlanta Braves are your National League East champions for the fifth year in a row. Had the division for the taking, and you guys blew it. You blew it. All the pitching, the noise, the big league, you blew it. The Mets spent 175 days this season in first place and didn't win the division. The Atlanta Braves were in first place for a week. And won it. And oh, by the way, they on paper lost get, lost players, and and you could even make the argument on paper were a worse team this year than the Mets were. And they still spit the bit. I mean that is is un, is unforgivable. Unforgivable. And as for uh, Tony Larusa, listen, any person could have seen from a mile away that even though he still had the brains to be an American League or not American League, what am I talking about? Even though he still had the brains and still had the baseball IQ to be a successful manager in Major League Baseball in 2022, just because he had the brains for it doesn't mean that he had, A, the patience, or B, was physically able or had the youthful uh, attitude or had the youthful mindset and mental capacity to to be a long-term, to come out of retirement and be a long-term success as a major league manager in 2022 MLB. Just because he knows way around a clubhouse and knows how to manage a bullpen and manage a starting rotation and know when to pinch hit and know when to write a... That's not... That's great. And that's the meat and potatoes and the qualifications of, what's, of what it takes being a, a, uh, a successful MLB manager. But being up in age the way Tony La Russa is... With the health issues that all of a sudden out of the clear blue sky, uh, all of a sudden out of the clear blue sky, uh, started uh, coming out of the woodwork. I mean that that is that's like a that that was that situation 
was uh was was doomed from from damn near you can almost say doomed from the beginning. I mean he did a hell of a job getting him to the postseason, win a division in twenty twenty one, but that that is what you call short term success and short term relevance. The team was injured to hell and back, granted not his fault. He made many a mind bogglingly stupid decisions. We could dissect the you know the intentionally walking batters with a one two count to the cows come home. It's just and now he's going to have to, and we knew that he was, and we knew that, and there were many a times where his teams were flat as a pancake, losing to inferior opponents. Uh, you know, we we can, we can allow the Orioles to come up in, in there uh, back in June. And they took the, uh, when they took a week, when they won three or four from him uh, back in June. And then when the, and then when the White Sox had a chance to win a season series, if the left fielder just holds on to a pop fly in left field, uh, holds on to it and, and holds on and, and and just clutches the ball. He has the final out in the series in his back pocket, in which the White Sox had to have to keep pace with Cleveland at that point in time for first place in the American League Central. He drops the he drops the ball. Two pitches later, Kyle Stowers' first career major league home run has hit the right center field to tie the game and to keep the game going. He ended up forcing extra innings, a game that the Orioles ended up going on to win. Uh, and we all knew that, and he and he was brought back because one of Jerry Reinsdorf's biggest regrets as owners of Chicago was allowing Tony La Russa to go out the door. So he brought him back as a fa- as as you know as like an apology, sympathy, you know, redo. He brought him back. Tony agreed to come out of retirement, and we all knew that unless Tony Russa, unless the ship really sank. For uh for Chicago and or Tony Roos was going to be in some hot water as far as like legal issues or whatever he wasn't going anywhere, but then this health scare happens back in September and we haven't seen him since. Thus he decides to say good night and step down and retire for good as manager of the Chicago uh, White Sox. And Aaron Judge hits uh hits sixty two home runs. He finally was able to do it. Hitting his first, uh, hitting his uh, first home run in about two weeks, um, uh, hits uh, or, or excuse me, yeah, just about, hits about his uh, first home run in about two weeks. Or not two weeks. He hits his second home run in two weeks. I apologize, um, and and gets number sixty and gets number sixty two. Uh, he is now the Yankees franchise in the American League single season home run record holder. In my honest, in my honest, humble opinion, I feel like he is the unofficial um, uh, record holder amongst the sport of Major League Baseball as the single season home run champion. Yes, I understand. You know, you can't erase Bonds from the record books, and you can't say that Bonds, him, what he did for baseball didn't exist and that did happen. But what I'm saying is that it did happen. Put an asterisk next to it and realize that he cheated and he used steroids to do it. It is artif- It's an artificial record. The stats, the stats, and the numbers that he put up is artificial. It's fake. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's um, uh, it's not authentic. It's not. It's 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 inauth- It's unauthentic. It's not real. It's not. Uh, it's not a hundred percent. You know, natural, natural, God given. Now, hitting a baseball is God given ability. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, if you don't think the steroids would bond them, he hit more than. I think he never hit more than forty five, fifty for home runs in a season. All of a sudden, he jumps off, and gradually his head grows in size, his body, his body build changes, and he hits seventy three. I'm sorry. You can either got two choices. I think, 
and I and don't sit up here and say, well, you do this. You can erase the actual championship and got no problem. I think you erase the steroid guys and the records that they have and that they've broken. You erase them. Well, at the bare minimum, you create like separate categories. You got the steroid era records, and then you got the non and the and the and the record and the records of the guys who did it cleanly. And I think, at least to our knowledge, Aaron Judge did this uh, cleanly. At least one would think, one would imagine. I totally, one hundred percent agree that he did. He hits his sixty-two. Congratulations to him. I think, in my humble opinion, I don't care what any, what any. Uh, what any Yankee hater says or what any Yankee hater thinks um, or what any uh, Aaron, uh, Barry Bonds apologist says or thinks, Aaron Judge is the, is the sport, the sport of Major League Baseball over 150 years. He is their single season home run record uh, champion, so to speak, along with, of course, the Yankee franchise and the American League. He is it. Not Barry Bonds who did it fraudulently. That's the word I was looking for fraudulently inauthentic with the help of steroids 73 no it's aaron judge you you can whether we you know do debate and we all know we all saw that it happened but we all know at the end of the day using our morals using values and knowing that what he did was dishonest and was uh, and, and wasn't right and breaking the rules within us we all know that that it's like we we, we can't we can acknowledge it if we want to put an asterisk next to it or want to say, hey, you know, or put them in a separate category. The steroid users versus the guys who did it cleanly. But the idea that Aaron Judge, you know, or excuse me, the idea that Barry Bonds did it clean, you know, his record is as pure as Maris's was at 61 and Judge is currently at 62 is, 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 is a crock and another farce. Bonds cheated. We can't, we can't, we can't debate that. We can debate whether or not he failed a drug test. Well, it was the steroid era. It's his era. Everybody was doing it. Okay. So every, so everybody decides to rob a bank and you decide, what does that make it right? Because everybody else was, was doing wrong and was acting immorally and, and didn't have, and didn't have a, a good personal code of conduct and had piss poor standards. What does that make it right for you to go ahead and do it? I mean, give me a break. I mean, come on, please. I mean, so one person jumps off a bridge. So what? You gonna sit up here and follow suit and jump off a bridge as well? I mean, child, please, please. It it wasn't it wasn't the if anything else it wasn't the right thing to do. He took performance enhancing drugs because he got jealous that Sosa McGuire getting all the attention, and he took jealous to feed it took steroids to feed his own ego because he got jealous, and now. Him being known as a cheat and a fraud, going to have to suffer the consequences. As far as the uh, TNF game is concerned, that game has you know first one to score fourteen to seventeen points written all over it. Uh, the Colts couldn't stop Derrick Henry worth a damn, and their loss, yet another home loss for them this season. Uh, they couldn't stop Derrick Henry on uh, Sunday afternoon and they lost to the Titans as their season is hanging on by a slim, thin, 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 thin thread. Uh, while the Broncos are coming off of their loss, giving uh, the Raiders their first win of the season. Turnovers all over the place, fumbling the football left and right. I can't take Melvin Gordon walking out of post-game press conferences and flipping out and acting like a petulant child. Bottom line is, Gordon, you hold on to the football and you don't turn over the football ad infinitum like you did on Sunday afternoon. 
we're not having this conversation. We're not having this discussion. You being asked about your fumbles, the, 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 we, we, this, the, this situation does not exist if you don't just do your job and just hold on to the damn football. It's that simple. Don't lash out the media. Don't lash out other people. Look yourself in the mirror. Say, hey, I screwed up. It's my fault that I fumbled. And raise your right hand. Take full responsibility. That's it. That's all. Uh, but uh, you do that, you got no problems. Uh, as the Seattle Seahawks offense has just been a complete, it's, it's 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 been ugly to put it nicely to watch them throughout the first four weeks of the season uh, as they play host to uh, the Indianapolis Colts coming up on uh, Thursday night, which should be a very defensive, uh, heavy football game where the first one, I think, to score 17, 14 points. Uh, will win. If you want a prediction, I will say give me the Broncos 14, the Colts 10. How's that? 14-10, Broncos winning. Broncos country, let's ride your way to mediocrity. Here we come. That's another episode of the Amatelica Tell You is podcast in the books. If you like what you heard, new to the program, please don't hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Show on Instagram at Amatella underscore it T I is. Or the show on Twitter, Amatella underscore it T I is. And the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. Real quick, real quick. Cut the music, cut the music, cut the music. I want to get this off my chest. By the way, the Orioles, so you Yankee fans out there, the Orioles don't owe Aaron, didn't owe Aaron Judge a damn thing this weekend. Now, granted, do I wish the Orioles, Brandon Hyde, and their and their pitching and their and their pitching staff showed as much precise and precision and was as picky and as decisive with handling of Aaron Judge's at bats in July, in May, in April, when the games meant something for the Orioles, where they had you know where 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 it meant something, where you where you were in the thick. Of you in the thick meat and potatoes, main course, main entree of your season, rather than you know fool around and try to get cute when you're eliminated from playoff contention and you're barely trying to eclipse the threshold of winning 81 plus games. I get that, so I understand, and that's just where Yankees come from in that perspective because it is a little bit ridiculous. You know, how many times throughout the season have I kicked and screamed and tweeted wanting for Brandon Hyde to intentionally walk Aaron Judge when he's done nothing but hit the Orioles' poor pitching staff all over the damn ballpark, and he refuses to, and he and for whatever reason they kept on pitching to him. So I get, so I wish they would have had this energy with trying to get Judge out and or walk him earlier in the season. Next sentence. The Yankee fan and Aaron Judge aren't entitled aren't aren't are entitled to aren't are entitled to nothing from the Orioles and the Orioles and the Orioles pitching staff. Judge gets sixty one home run, he gets the sixty he, he gets the sixty second home run, he gets six he gets the sixty second home run. Okay? If, if do you blame the Orioles pitching staff for wanting to give it up? No, because the Orioles are in a lot of other highlight reels with the New York Yankees. In terms of you know great moments in Yankee history that have been to the Orioles' demise, whether it be the Jeffrey Mayer play in Game One of the '96 ALCS, whether you go back to whether you go back to Jeter's last game in Yankee Stadium, he hits a walk-off single in his final game ever at Yankee Stadium in 2014. 
you, I mean, you name it. I mean, bottom line is Orioles do not owe the Yankees a damn thing. Their pitching staff doesn't owe them anything. Brandon Hyde, the manager, doesn't owe them anything. Nothing. And he got the 60-second home run anyway, so what difference does it freaking make? I mean, it's, you wanted to see it at Yankee Stadium, and you and if you're the fan, you you went out and took the soldier and out to the Bronx and froze and sat in a rainstorm. God bless you, but still, yeah, and I would feel a certain way too if I was a Yankee fan. But nothing, nothing. When we aren't entitled to anything in this life, especially when it comes to to things of luxury, we and and, and enjoyment, we aren't entitled to anything. So, granted, I wish the Orioles would have been a little bit more. Would have showed as much fight and precision, you know, while collapsing to the Blue Jays nine times over in September, and losing games to the likes of the uh, to the Detroit Tigers, just to name a few earlier this month. And would have liked them to be a little bit more precise and be a little bit more specific with their with their decision making, pitching the judge earlier this season. You're damn right, I do. And them going out of their way to make sure that they don't that you know. That uh, that Jose bought that Felix Bautista or Keegan Aiken or Brian Baker doesn't give up Aaron Judge's uh, 62 home run is a little rough, a little tough to take. Got to be fair, but at the same time, I can't listen to the Yankee fan moan and groan and complain because, quite honestly, Judge should have been had his 62nd home run. If he was in the home runs at the rate in late sept in mid mid late September now in early October like he was. In the back end of August and the begin this time last month, he he'd probably would have caught and and broke Bonds's seventy three record by at this point. So you live and you learn. Talk to you on Friday. Peace. We are gone.